This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today. I'm your host, Jay Scott, and I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have a great episode with friend Tim Rushing out of Colorado. Today we're going to talk about uh, Colorado uh, bighorn sheep hunting and goat hunting, and Tim has a lot of experience uh, in this arena and uh, it's going to be a great episode and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Uh, here we are in the middle of July or not quite the middle of July and uh, things are, are starting to ramp up across the west and people are getting excited about their hunts and uh, I just want to thank you guys for your support of this podcast. Uh, thank you for all the questions and comments. Uh, you, if you have questions and comments you can send them to jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. I get emails every day from listeners uh, wanting to hear different types of episodes and um, I'm uh, making note of all of those and trying to make sure that I cover everything that you guys want to hear. So I want to thank you guys for all the support. Uh, If you haven't given us a rating on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and give us a nice positive comment that helps our placement on iTunes. Uh, We've had just incredible support from you guys, and this uh, podcast wouldn't be possible without uh, your support and the support of our sponsors. I want to thank GoHunt.com Insider for their support, uh, continuing support of this podcast, and also Deadeye Outfitters, uh, who is a new sponsor of the podcast. And if you haven't gone to uh, the Deadeye Outfitters uh, website, go check it out. They've got some great uh, t-shirts, hoodies, hats. Um, they represent the Boone and Crockett uh, uh, apparel uh, collection, and um, they've got a lot of great things uh, coming up and um, that they're going to introduce and a lot of new products. Um, you're going to love the designs. Um, the artwork is phenomenal uh, at Deadeye Outfitters, and um, so I just want to thank the sponsors for their support. I want to thank the listeners, and let's get right to the episode. One thing I wanted to add also, guys, is you can follow along with our adventures at J. Scott Outdoors on Instagram, uh, at J. Scott Outdoors, and at Dar Colburn. Uh, Pretty exciting. Dar Colburn's uh, son drew the Arizona Strip 13D rifle tag, and uh, that just came out yesterday, and it's uh, pretty exciting times. Uh, you can also follow along at J. Scott Outdoors Facebook, J. Scott Outdoors on YouTube. We have a uh, ever-growing YouTube channel with uh, well over a million and a half uh, views, and um, uh, of course the jscottoutdoors.com website. So thanks for all your support, and God bless. Let's get to the episode. One more thing to add, guys, when you go to the deadeyeoutfitters.com website and order your hats and your shirts, hoodies, etc., use the promo code jscott when checking out and you will receive a 10% discount. So I really appreciate Deadeye stepping up to support the podcast. Uh, Use the promo code jscott and you'll receive 10% off on all merchandise. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today I have Tim Rushing, and Tim is a 
a fellow hunter and fellow guide. He lives in Colorado Springs, Colorado in the Monument area. Uh, he has guided for uh, many of the raffle and auction sheep hunts. Uh, he's an avid hunter of, of mule deer and goats and sheep and uh, just look forward to picking his brain today about uh, Colorado hunting. Tim, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Yeah, it's great to have you today. Uh, Tim, why don't you give me a little bit of a brief introduction about yourself and, and bio. Uh, I know you're a fantastic general contractor. I know you're finishing up some houses, I believe, in Denver. And uh, for m mutual friend Greg Weisner, I think you guys have some projects going. Uh, give, me a, give me a brief intro on yourself. Yeah, Greg and I know each other. And we actually got to know each other from through the Bighorn Society, uh, which is a big kind of a big conservation group here in Colorado. Um, and of course we share the love of hunting, um, yeah, as do a lot of us that live in the Western States. Um, uh, I got very interested. Well, I've hunted in Colorado my whole life. So ever since I was, I, I went on hunts with my dad when I was a tiny, tiny kid and, you know, hunted antelope and some of the easier things. And then as I got older, got very interested in applying and hunting for mountain goats and bighorn sheep in our state. So um, got really, really fortunate in 1997 and drew um, the statewide raffle tag and had a phenomenal adventure on that hunt. Uh, statewide raffle Rocky Mountain sheep tag? Yes. Yep. Okay. Yep. For, awesome. For how, how did you do? How uh, was that hunt? Well, that hunt lasted... Uh, 27 days and on and off different parts of the state um, and ended up taking a ram that scored 191 and two eighths and remains um, the, one of the top 10 bighorn ever killed in Colorado. So we had a, wow, that's fantastic. Had, a had a great hunt, had a fun hunt with some good friends and um, that still remains one of my highlight hunting adventures, but uh, got me very, that, that, event in itself got me very interested in you know taking part in the conservation role um, and be I became really active in the Rocky Mountain Bighorn Society um, who does actually raffle they they represent the auction and raffle bighorn tags as well as the Rocky Mountain goat tag um, in our state so it's a great group of people um, very concerned and you know pro hunting group um a lot like some of the arizona you know arizona desert bighorn sheep society it would be a counterpart to that and then uh tied to the national wild sheep foundation as well so that's awesome tim uh <clears throat> explain to me a little bit how the raffle and the auction tags work and what what is involved and how much the tickets cost and maybe when they're for sale and and has the drawing for the uh can people still buy raffle tickets for this year? Give me a little background on that. Yeah, well, the typically what uh, happens with the Bighorn Society is they go to the Wild Sheep Foundation uh, banquet or show in Reno um, or Las Vegas, and the auction tag is sold at that convention. Um, and then its counterpart tag would be the raffle tag. So it's a it's a tag that you can buy tickets for they're $25 a piece um, there's a limit of 25 and we typically sell anywhere from 2500 to 3500 total tickets 
So it raises a ton of money um, for Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and the the monies that are raised from that are designated to go to sheep and goat uh, projects for management. So um, the tickets were for the raffle were drawn in April, so about a month, maybe five, six weeks ago now. And so uh, the raffle opportunities are done for the year for sheep and goats, um, but there are still, you know, there's next year, and those tickets start to go on sale typically in January of the year. So, and Kim, you guys, uh, the Rocky Mountain Bighorn Sheep Society, uh, you guys have a banquet. Uh, is it typically in the summer, or when is that? Um, that's actually when the sheep and goat and pronghorn tickets are drawn. The raffle tickets are drawn at that. It's typically at the okay. end of April. Each, okay, every so year, the so. The auction hunter is already established for this year, and the raffle hunter has already has already drawn, and, and the raffle hunter is already know, he knows who he is. When do those hunts start, and how long do they last? Um, the great thing about both of those tags, they have the exact same seasons to them. Uh, the first season that opens in Colorado is, is typically in early August, and those are archery hunts, and the auction and raffle hunters can elect to go. They can start hunting as soon as the first season opens. So if it's August 7th, that's when they can start hunting. But they cannot hunt with a rifle in an archery unit. If it's an archery-only you know, hunt, um, that's the method of the weapon that they have to use. So, But the season goes all the way through the end of December. So you can actually hunt pretty much from early August all the way through the very end of December. Um, the, the thing that we have found, you know, guiding and outfitting clients on those hunts, typically those late hunts, is that you get snowed out of a lot of the, uh, a lot of the sheep areas. And a lot of the sheep remain, you know, very high on the mountains, even in the, you know, blizzard-type conditions. Uh, they don't come down usually to lower elevations until – after the rut, uh, which is in sometime in, you know, mid to late December. So those hunts are, it's a great, fantastic opportunity. You can hunt statewide with that, either one of those tags, the auction or raffle tag, um, any open unit. So, and we do have a few units um, or a few herds of sheep in this state that are not in open units. So Which ones are those? Um, you've got some, gosh, there's actually quite a few of them. Um, one, there... uh, one that comes to mind is the, the Heyman burn area, which is where we had a big forest fire, um, quite a few years ago. They actually tra transplanted sheep and I was on that transplant. We put sheep back in that area after the burn and that is not a huntable population of sheep, you know, at this time, I think dinosaur, National Park dinosaur area has some sheep. Um, there, there are probably I would say at least a dozen, maybe more sheep units in the state or sheep herds that don't have a you know a huntable population. And wh sure. whether or not they do may or may not be hunted, uh, I think will remain to be seen. The Colorado Parks and Wildlife keeps an eye on them, and you know they know that there are sheep in certain areas and and uh, once the most populations get to a, you know, a huntable number, then they do 
with a little prodding, they will open a, a new area. And we have seen that in the last couple of years. We've seen a few a few new units pop up, um, which is really nice. It's usually a low amount of tag numbers, you know, for that unit. But uh, it's a great opportunity to get to learn some new country and, you know, see a new uh, expanding sheep herd. So uh, my son was actually lucky enough to draw one of those tags that came up about four years ago. Uh, brand new unit, never been hunted, gobs of sheep, gobs of rams, and he ended up killing a, a 177 uh, ram out of their really beautiful, wide flaring, uh, beautiful ram. So there's some great opportunities in Colorado, and uh, very hard to draw a tag though. <laughs> but yeah, still, absolutely, still fun. I I apply every year. Um... And why don't you tell me and the listeners, uh, refresh refresh my uh, memory on how the Colorado general draw works uh, with the non-residents happen to have at least three years of application. And walk me through the draw process a little bit. Correct. Yeah, the, the draw process is a little bit unique for Colorado versus other western states. Almost all the states have some sort of a preference point, bonus point. Um, Colorado calls... Our system, it has weighted points. So in theory, um, you cannot draw a tag until you have at least three preference points. So you have to apply for three consecutive years if you've never applied before. And once you, once you have three points, then you are basically eligible to draw that a, a tag. Um, if you are unsuccessful after that third year, you get one weighted point. And then the, the next year, if you apply and you don't draw, you get two weighted points. Supposedly, in theory, uh, the weighted points are supposed to mat- mathematically increase your odds for drawing those tags. Um, what we have seen, though, uh, and, and right now at this point this year, people will have 15 weighted points who have applied. This is how long the program's been going. And uh, so anyway, the... <clears throat> The weighted points are maxed out at 15 right now. So uh, what we are seeing, people that watch it and kind of, you know, learn the system, um, is that our system is still basically a random draw system. Um, and you, you, when you apply for your tag, you are assigned a six-digit number. And that, that number is manipulated a couple of times, um, but you can basically have um, – a result of uh, the lowest draw number is the one that's going to get the tag. So it, what I'm trying to say basically is that you have a six-digit number, so you could have zero 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 one, and you could also have just one less than a million. So nine hundred thousand, you know, nine 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 nine, all those nines. So you your application number is somewhere between zero and a million. And, you know, we have typically 200, 300, 400 applicants for one tag. So each person can have a random number in that arrangement. And so basically you're, you know, trying to get the lowest draw number in that scenario. But very hard to draw by the sheer numbers of people applying, um, you know, you they never get that lowest draw number, even if you have weighted points. And the weighted points 
basically divide your draw number down by the number of weighted points that you have. So, you know, in theory, it would work great. But what we're really seeing is that it does not um, really lend itself to those people who have been applying for a long term. Um, but what it's great for is the people who have three and zero weighted points. They, too, can still draw a tag. So it's very it's a very equitable system for the new new time sheep hunter for younger kids, you know, that haven't been applying since they're, you know, 12 years old. They have no history of application for sheep or a goat tag or a moose tag. Um, so the system, I think, is very fair for most people um, that are just starting out. But like I said, it doesn't really have a great benefit for uh, those people who are long-time applicants, um, like myself, I have never drawn a uh, sheep tag in this state besides the raffle tag. So I've been applying for 34 years in this state and never <laughs> have never seen a tag. <laughs> but I've drawn goat tags, so we can draw goat tags. And this year, and I on have... and on the flip side of that, you you also know people that have had the three weighted points, basically have no. Uh, or have the three points, and just being eligible, you've known some of those people that have drawn also. You've put in for 34 and never drawn, and you know people that have drawn with, with basically no points. Correct, yeah, and I know people who have drawn multiple sheep tags while I've been applying. So, you know, <laughs> and, and sheep hunters being, I guess, what they are, they're, they're I would describe sheep hunters as a very, you know, serious, mountain hunter we're in love with hunting in the mountains in this mountain game and you know it leads to a lot of i think self not not selfishness but a lot of a very super ultra competitive nature it brings yeah. out in people um you know and i just i love to hunt sheep and i think mountain goat hunting also is just a it's a phenomenal opportunity to be in some very rugged country and I love, you know, love that. My one of my my oldest sons has a goat tag this year uh, over near Carbondale area where Jay is uh, kind of from. And we'll, you know, we'll probably be looking around over there uh, starting in July. Um, so we'll get a we got a goat tag in the family and uh, don't have any sheep tags this year. But uh, had my son youngest son drew a sheep tag last year so pretty fun um, that's awesome and so. speaking about the goat um is it as hard to draw as the sheep um and are are there more are there more goat tags uh in the state or more sheep tags and talk to me a little bit about the goat draw you know i i believe there are still a, I, the goat and sheep tag numbers might be even um I know there's a couple hundred, 200 something sheep tags. Uh, there may be some more goat tags, a little bit more, 250 goat tags. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's very close to being correct. Um, and then the, um, gosh darn it, I lost my train of thought there. Let's take a break. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take a five second. <laughs> what was your question again? I'm sorry. I was just talking about the goat tags and how how they differ or how they're the same as the sheep. Are they weighted as well? Okay. Um, that type of thing. Gotcha. Okay. Do you want to ask that question again or just go? Sure. Yeah. Jim, uh, 
you spoke a little bit about your son drawing a mountain goat tag uh, over in this region, over where I'm staying for the summer. Um, talk to me a little bit about the goat draw and if it's similar as far as weighted points, do you have to apply for three years in order to get a goat tag? Um, and just give me a little background on the goat hunting in Colorado. Yeah, the mountain goat tags are also subject to the uh, weighted points. So it's the same system that they have for sheep. There's a few mo- few more goat tags than there are sheep tags available. Um, there are actually nanny-only goat tags in this state as well we were one of the very first states to start hunting female goats um which for some people you know very hard to tell the difference between male and female goats but when you look at them a lot it's fairly easy to tell um the opportunities uh for goat hunting uh in this state are i would say on average probably slightly better than drawing a sheep tag Although I had a guy call me the other day, very frustrated, been can't draw a goat tag for anything. So I guess it depends on your family and your luck. Uh, we have not had as hard a time drawing goat tags as we have sheep tags. But um, <laughs> so I, I can't explain that. It's just, I think, a, a luck of the draw. But there's some phenomenal opportunities to hunt goats in this state. We have some very good goat units, uh, a lot like sheep units. We have, I would say, areas where you're going to be able to kill maybe a bigger, bigger billy, um, but we don't take a lot of, you know, Boone and Crockett 50-inch-plus goats in this state. Uh, there's there's a handful of them, and I would say there's probably less than one or two a year that are taken that actually make the, the Boone and Crockett minimum score of 50. Uh, but we, you know, we have some phenomenal haired long-haired billies we have some late season hunts that go clear to the end of october so you know if you if you're up for it you can brave the elements and probably going to be in a blizzard um, and you know run into some really long-haired goats and some pretty hairy country as well Um, (laughs) but Tell me about, uh, Tim, the difference in goat country and sheep country and maybe where sheep country ends and where goat country begins, or do they overlap? Um, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, our our Colorado Parks and Wildlife, there are zones, there are mountain ranges where goats and sheep do overlap, but overall, uh, the Parks and Wildlife likes to separate goats from sheep, um, and they... You know, if there's an area where there's a well-known, well-established sheep population and they see goats or, you know, a goat or two, a random billy coming into the unit and out of the unit, they may actually take that animal out. Uh, They don't, they try to preserve the, I think the, you know, preferred species is the bighorn sheep. Um, But there are some, there's some overlapping ranges. I would say, without question, goats are found in much rougher country. Um, Many of the goats that we've hunted are found at 12,000 feet and above. Um, I did, my dad had a goat hunt about four years ago, and we ended up taking his goat right below timberline, so we were at about 96, 9,700 feet um, in the, you know, in the, lodgepole 
and we found a big rocky outcrop that was kind of way down out of the way and there was a billy there and it happened to be a Boone and Crockett billy so we we got lucky on that one but um, sheep sheep typically are more hanging out right at timberline Um, in the summertime you may find sheep you know way above timberline where it's cooler where there are no bugs bothering them Uh, windy they're going to go places where um, they're mostly away from people they don't like people Um, so if you're ever hunting looking for rams you know in the summertime you want to try to probably be looking right at timberline and above um, and look early in the morning late in the evening those are the two best times to catch sheep you know even in the fall Uh, but you're going to find sheep and typically rams you will find in a little more gently you know not rolling hills but a little less rough than where you would find mountain goats Um, although I will say I've seen some some bighorn ewes in some you know country that would look look a lot like goat country they like the very rough stuff Uh, when they lamb in June they typically will have their lambs in very very rough country to you know to keep away from predators mountain lions and and coyotes so uh, but overall I think there's there's some overlap when you sheep and goat you know hunt you may see in a few units you may see goats um, but I would say overall you're going to be looking for one or the other Um, and if you yeah they do share a little bit of same country I'm thinking about over in the uh, collegiate peaks I've seen sheep and goats on the same mountain before in the same hillside and uh, I would say that's very fairly uncommon in this state but there's there's okay. some overlap. Okay, and Tim, if you had to pick, say, the top five um, units for uh, sheep units and mountain ranges for bighorn sheep in Colorado, I mean, is there a top five in your mind, or or with that, is there a is there a top one and two, and all the rest are kind of, you know, about equal? Or give me the breakdown on maybe some of the units specifically. Yeah, I think the biggest rams and the the record book will prove prove my point. Um, come from units 50 and 51 which are down kind of south southern Colorado um, kind of in the Trinidad Walsenburg area and uh, that's been you know the biggest amount of really big big rams have come from that area that's where I took my ram in 97 and my ram was actually one of the rams that kind of started the whole interest in that area and uh, there's been just just a, a very large amount of rams taken in that those two units. So, but you will see a ram every now and then will pop up in some unknown unit where somebody has done their homework, drawn a tag, or they've been watching sheep for years and years, and you know happen to pull a really good one out of some unknown unit. It does happen. Um, I would say there's about one or two. Boone and Crockett rams taken every year bigger than 180 net score and you know once in a while there will be a mid 180 ram come out um, 190 rams are, are super rare in this state you'll see one about every 10 to 15 years um, that will you know appear and it's usually 
in an area that's got a kind of an expanding population of sheep. So 50 and 51 are only open to residents at this time. And unless you were to happen to draw the raffle tag or buy the auction tag, and then you would have access to both of those units. So, you know, they, there's been a lot of rams harvested in unit 51 and 50 continues to kick out good rams year after year. Uh, so I think when people decide where they want to apply for, uh, um, there's a lot more to think about when you're, you know, than just where are all the big rams coming from. I'm sure it's the same way in Arizona for desert sheep. Um, you kind of have to look at units and say, you know, what kind of hunt do I want? Do I want a really wilderness hunt? Do I want, you know, a hunt where I can stay in a hotel and go out every day. Um, a lot of people, a lot of different people define, I think, in their minds what they want. They know what they want, what type of hunt they want. And so we have a lot of different units that will accommodate a lot of those different, you know, wishes for hunts. Um, personally, I like those more wilderness hunts where I'm going to be sleeping on a mountain in a, you know, one-man tent, um, maybe with another person in another tent and two of us, you know, slipping through the woods or I, I actually like enjoy hunting by myself too a lot, but I'm not sure it's real safe in those, you know, some of the country that you're in is pretty rough and um, going alone is maybe not the smartest thing to do, but that's the kind of hunt I like. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that everybody has their own idea of what their hunt is. And there's some guys that just want the biggest ram and, you know, they'd assume, just assume shoot it on the first day. And then there's guys that really aren't, you know, they'd like to shoot a nice mature ram, uh, but they want the full adventure and, you know, they, they don't mind putting in two weeks of hunting. And so yeah. that's the one thing that's so cool about uh, sheep is, you know, most of the sheep hunts, you got to kind of work at it. And uh, as non-residents, uh, so you mentioned 50 and 51 and those are residents. Uh, off the top of your head, you know, uh, what would you say maybe the top five or just five non-resident units that, um, you know, are eligible for, for people that, that live out of state that can apply uh, for good quality, good sheep hunting? Yeah, I think one of the top ones and, and always probably will be would be Georgetown. That's S32. Um, and it's it's right along the I-70 corridor west of Denver. Um, big sheep population. Very accessible unit. Um, very visible sheep, uh, typically in August and September. Uh, there's a big, you know, there's an archery hunt in there right before the rifle hunt. And I, I've guided in there a lot, hunted in there a lot, and, and seen a lot of really good rams. Um, that's probably one of the, you know, one of the top units. Um, every couple years, they they kind of change some of the non-resident units. One of the ones that I I recommend people look into is S8. Um, super super rough country. It, Where's that by Tim? Oh, it's down in the. It's near Mount Blanca Peak, um, right right over. Uh, oh gosh, the name of the pass right there, um, La Vida Pass. If you go over La Vida Pass and down into basically toward the San Luis Valley, Blanca Peak, Ellingwood Peak. Um, it includes some of the southern part of the Sangre de Cristo Mountains. And 
that's got some really rugged country in it, as rugged as you'll find sheep in, um, and has some really good rams. Um, and that occasionally is available. It was available this year for non-residents. And there's usually only a total of three tags in there. So that's a really good one. Um, S44 would be another one to look at. I think S33. Um, S33 has, I believe, a non-resident tag in it this year. Uh, that's over by Lake City, right? Lake City area, correct. Okay. I and, think that's the one I applied for this year. Yep. Yep. That's a good one. There's been some really big rams taken over there. Really good looking rams, heavy, um, not super big based. I don't believe this year, except I think maybe one of them had big bases, but um, I saw some pictures of them. They were really good rams there. And then uh, you kind of have to pay attention. One of the tough things, and I always tell people about, about this, you know, with sheep hunting is that uh, it's so different than deer hunting, elk hunting, where you get to go year after year, look at animals, and you, you can know an area. Well, sheep and goat hunting is so, so rare. It's so rare to draw a tag that when you do draw a tag, you're very likely not going to be very familiar with the unit. So, you know, you really kind of have to pay attention, be maybe talking to an outfitter, guide, somebody else that hunts in there a lot for other game and and keep yourself, you know, very, I would say, up to date about your unit that you're interested in. You know, do a historical search on the rams that have been taken in there and try to familiarize yourself as best you can without being there, um, you know, some about the unit. And then, you know, you, those units and that information changes on a yearly basis, Um you know, sheep herds are very susceptible to predation. Um, they are very susceptible to pressure. If you get two or three good hunters that go into a unit and, you know, kill all the big rams that year in your unit that you've been looking to apply for, um, you may not know that, you know, if you're not in tune with the unit. So, you know, we have really good statistics available to us, kill data, um, on our sheep and goats and you can kind of keep track of that i actually do a um, article for the bighorn society color issue that comes out right before the shows in january and i've got all the the draw statistics in there in a in a very readable way and it basically gives you kind of a uh, i call it the drawability index and basically it just kind of gives you information on how hard is it to draw this unit or that unit and i've broken it out into resident versus you know non-resident uh, sheep goat um, and non-resident resident in each one of those categories so uh, you can get a copy of that magazine by you know looking at the the bighorn society website and you can probably uh, call the they've got a new person i think doing that but you might be able to get a copy of that magazine or pick one up at one of the, the sheep shows that they go to. Um, and it gives you a lot of really good information on, you know, what on each unit. So it's kind of always been a desire of mine too, to do a breakdown of all the, the sheep units in the state and, and give information to people about those and break those down. But I think kind of that might be some of the fun for people that draw the tag. Um, you know, a huge part of, a huge part of sheep hunting is the hunt itself. So 
you know, Jay, when you're saying a lot of guys want to, would be okay shooting a big ram on the first day. Um, and that's, that's great. I probably would as well, but a huge part of sheep hunting, you know, is the hunt itself. So it's the preparation before the hunt. It's getting in shape. Um, it's scouting. It's going to find your first group of rams, you know, during the summer. Um, and then the hunt itself, you know, may or may not last the entire season. You may find rams on the first day and, you know, that may be great, but the, really the preparation for the hunt and then the hunt itself is what sheep hunting is all about. It's, it's a phenomenal experience and it's too bad you can't draw, you know, more than a couple times in your lifetime, but that's just the way it goes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think you nailed it, um, hit the nail right on the head. For me, you know, taking clients out sheep hunting, uh, you know, usually having one client a year um, to focus on during the general season. And if we're fortunate to have an auction or a raffle tag, then that's even better. But, you know, for me, uh, the thing that's so fantastic about sheep hunting is all of the preparation like you talked about and um, trying to eliminate any variable uh, out there that you can't control, um, you know, getting all your stats, uh, talking to everyone that you know, um, you know, and as a guide, basically trying to keep track of all of the inventory and, uh, you know, it, it, it helps to go with a guide, in my opinion, on a once-in-a-lifetime hunt because, you know, there may be a ram in the unit that they've been watching for two or three years uh, that they know is there, they know is alive, and, and you know, you you may shoot a trophy that's, uh, you know, third or fourth or fifth or tenth best in the unit, and if you can go with someone that, that really knows the, the, the rams and really knows the inventory, um, just by hiring that help, you may end up uh, shooting a much bigger ram just from that aspect alone. Um you know, it, it, it's, I see people get all fired up and they go on their sheep hunt and they may go scout once or twice. And then they go, you know, the, the day before the hunt and they see a band of rams and, you know, they pick the best one out and shoot it. And I mean, you can maybe touch on this a little bit. For me, it's much more than that. It's, it's getting a unit and trying to, tr I go into it trying to say, I want to see every ram in the unit. Now, granted, you're not in a lot of units. You'll never do that. Right. But I kind of approach it like I want to see every ram, I want to photograph and video every ram in the unit and get as big of an inventory as I can so that I know when the hunt comes that I'll be making a good decision on something I harvest. Can you speak a little bit on that? Right. No, and I, I would say I go about it, I think, the same same way but maybe a little different language. You know, I, I kind of go at look at it as I want to go – I want to go harvest the best, the biggest ram we can find. And right. so it's more or less the same thing. So we're going to go look and we're going to go have to look for every possible sheep, you know, in the unit. Um, and that can be a daunting task in some of these units, you know, where, like I talked about, they don't know where they're applying. And they may apply, in, for instance, in Colorado in unit S9 which is the Sangre de Cristos and has a fair amount of sheep. Um, but it may take you a day and a half to get from one drainage to another drainage to where you want to look for sheep And the sheep may be in the timber. 
um, you you will wear yourself ragged in a place like that. So there are some units that are very, you know, much easier to draw, and uh, but may not have good sheep in them. They may not have big sheep. They may not, you know, it may wear you out. So I think the point being, you know, people really it's a it's a phenomenal tag and you might as well make the most of it you know and, and get yourself very involved and you know don't don't make it all about getting the hunt over with you know enjoy the hunt to the fullest because it's such a rare opportunity i look at my my track record i have a horrible track record drawing sheep tags um i've applied in every western state for every species of sheep that you can desert sheep bighorn sheep and i have never drawn a tag in 25 years for anything sheep related (laughs) (laughs) except for my raffle tag so you know i know how rare it is and so i guess one of the things figured out is if i want to go sheep hunting which i fell in love with it on my raffle hunt um i have to i have to go live you know live uh, vicariously through other people and that's what i've decided to do you know guiding and then you know luckily taking a few of my friends and family as well on their hunts and you know make the most of it and you know i think back to the time when my son drew his tag about uh, four years ago uh, we were over in the unit scouting every weekend the entire summer really from about mid-may um, until his hunt in September, and you know, we both look back on that and um, just kind of relish the memories of that hunt and being together, and you know, doing a lot of spending a lot of time looking in the spotting scopes and you know, figuring the unit out. Um, but I do think you know you have a very very valid point, and um, you need to hire somebody, even if you can't. You know, maybe you can't afford it, but I tell you what, you know, an outfitted hunt is not that expensive, and I think it's very well worth the money. If I draw a desert sheep, you know, in Arizona or Nevada, um, I am going to hire somebody to help me, even though I don't really, won't probably need help judging the ram itself, um, because I've looked at, you know, hundreds of thousands of sheep, but so I have, you know, I'm fairly well acquainted with that, but there's so much more about, you know, a unit that I've probably never been in. The learning curve will be very steep. Um, you know, I would want to hire somebody and, you know, to help me get the most out of that experience. I think you can, sheep hunting, you can waste a lot of time trying to figure out where the sheep are. Um, right. Bighorns especially. Desert sheep, I don't know a whole lot about, but I know bighorn hunting a lot of times i'll get phone calls you know from people who have drawn tags in mid-september and they're like i have hunted for two weeks and i have not seen a ram yet you know and i'm like well what you know what's your strategy and they're like well i'm hiking up and down all the mountains and you know i'm hiking myself ragged and i'm like whoa stop you're doing it wrong already you know you need to be you need to find a glassing spot that where you can see a large amount of country, timberline, you know, get there early in the morning and at daylight if you can and get your spotting scope and binoculars set up and, you know, get to looking. And you can see sheep a long ways away. 
um, people don't really realize you can spot sheep five miles away sometimes, you know, if they're positioned right. Um, their white white rear end gives them away. And yeah. Um, so anyway, it's, it's, it's almost it's, like them waving a flag out there with their white, you know, their white butts. Uh, they just wave a flag almost. And, and you're right. I mean, you can see you can see them from so far away. Let's talk a little bit about uh, gear and, and gear that you use. Uh, I assume you use uh, binoculars on a tripod at all times. I do. Yeah, I have one of my favorites for Bighorn is is are the 15 by 56 Swarovskis, the SLCs, and they're very carryable, light, you know, they're fairly lightweight. I mean, they're still a big binocular, but um, I use the Outdoorsman tripod and um, with the trigger grip. Um, I've got one of the panhead uh, grips that I, as well. And then I I actually just got a, last year bought a, one of the big Swarovski um, spotting scopes to the 90. Uh, and I've got, you know, the 65. So I take both of those um Depending on how far I'm going to have to hike, I do like to photograph the sheep and the rams and stuff too. So I will take in a, you know, a camera and, uh, you know, a pretty big, pretty big lens. I, I've used the phone scope and um, some of the Tines Up gear as well and gotten some pretty good long, long range photos through that Swarovski scope. But, um, you know, I don't have a pair of those big big cowas, um, koas, and um, look forward to maybe being on a desert sheep hunt someday where I can look through a pair of those. But those are <laughs> those would be really impractical for Colorado uh, sure. for the most part. But you need you definitely need some big tripod mounted binoculars. That's that's my number one piece of gear that I have sheep hunting um, is are those binoculars and then you know, you can spot so much better through a set of tripod-mounted binoculars than you can just in a spotting scope. So I have both because if I see something long-range that looks like I want to look at it better, I'll just flip the, the spotting scope on there and zoom in, and I can tell, you know, for sure what, what I'm looking at or not. And then, uh, you know, good. I, I'm a big Kuyu fan. I love their, their rain gear. I have it, you know, most everything that they they make. Um, and, you know, I think one of the other, besides really good rain gear and good hunting clothing, um, such as Kuyu or Sitka, um, you know, there's a lot of good ones out there now, but um, are, would be good boots. I think good, good boots um, cannot, boots that fit you. You know, people ask me that all the time. What kind of boots do you wear? And, um, you know, I actually... I have the Hanbog boots from Lathrop and Sons. Those are the ones that fit me best, you know, and they're like, oh, have you ever tried the Kenetrex? And I'm like, you bet. Yep, I've got those. I've got Scarpas. Um, I've got lots of different boots. I'm kind of a boot and backpack fanatic. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, it, it. I think boots, you need a very rugged boot to hunt sheep and goats. Um, and you, you have to get the one that fits the best for your foot. You know, that's, that's my best advice to people is just wear what fits and get out and do some conditioning in the summer, wearing your boots and put some miles on those boots. I have found most boots take about 50, 40 to 50 miles of hiking to get them broken in you know, to where you're not going to have blisters or get hot spots on your feet. So, 
you know, break them in in the summertime before your sheep hunt or goat hunt and, you know, really get your feet accustomed to wearing them. It will make your ankles tougher. You know, walking on a treadmill is great, um, but there's nothing like getting out there and putting boots on the ground and hiking. You know, it makes your knees tougher. It, it conditions your legs um, and, you know, makes everything, I think, a little more durable. So if, when I know I have a sheep hunt coming on, I'm, I'm, I start hiking in like April, April and May, and I'll, I'll hike all summer long. Um, and then, you know, the last couple Last couple of weeks, I'll start putting some heavy weight in a backpack and, you know, doing the same hiking route regimen that I do um, earlier in the summer. So good boots will be, you know, very paramount. Um, Absolutely. The, the Lathrop and Son boots that you have, did you get the uh, custom footbeds and did they custom make those for you or did you just go with the standard? No, I have their high country footbed. Uh, How do you like those? I really like them. They, I think they are, they're as good of an insert, you know, insole as I, as I, for my foot, they're awesome. I love them. And I actually have them. Do you wear those in your, do you wear those in your everyday shoes as well? Or do you just have those in your hiking boots? No, I just have them in my boots. So it's, you know, they're, they're kind of well-worn and I I have a bunch of different pairs of those. I, I, like I said, I'm a boot and backpack fanatic. So when I I will typically wear out a pair of boots in a, in a season. So I'm doing, you know, several hundred to maybe five up to 500 miles, you know, in a summer. And then uh, on goat hunts, you're going to just scuff them and tear them up so bad typically that, you, you know, you may be able to use them for deer and elk hunting. But, um, you know, you need a very durable boot. I just got those, the new Kuyu boots, um, from Scarpa and um, the Grand Drew, and anxious to try those. I've been was wearing those around in the house earlier today, and uh, they're looking pretty good, pretty pretty darn durable for a mountain hunting boot. So uh, mine haven't showed up yet. I I made the transition from Arizona to Colorado, and we actually and just got our first shipment of mail uh, yesterday, but it was mainly just envelopes and stuff. So I'm hoping to get those here soon and try them out. I wanted to double back to um, something you had said earlier when you were talking about in 97 when you drew the raffle tag um, and shot a 191-inch ram. Uh, Tell me a little bit about the hunt briefly and then about um, the horn configuration uh, for a ram. I mean, that that is a phenomenal trophy. Um, I don't ever recall seeing pictures of that. I would love to see it. And kind of talk to me a little bit about how the hunt went and how you prepared for it and, and how you executed your strategy. You know, one of the things when people call me a lot asking about, you know, going guided and what have you, I I, I make a point to tell people that are going to go on a guided hunt, I say, what does your guide shoot on his personal hunts? And I think that is a huge, huge question that people need to ask. And, and you know, not putting anybody down at all, I think it brings up a good point that, you know, just because you're a guide doesn't mean you're going to be successful on your hunt. But most all the time, the good guides harvest old rams, big rams, you know, and it really weeds out the guys that, uh, 
you know, maybe have a license and maybe do some guiding, but they're not all in. And, um, you know, to know that you shot a giant ram on the only opportunity you've had on a sheep hunt, that speaks volumes to me. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. And like I said earlier, that was one of my, that will always be one of my, you know, highlights of my hunting career, um, that hunt. And I, a lot of it was that I got to spend a bunch of time with my dad on that hunt. Um, the hunt lasted, we ended up scouting or hunting for 20, actually it was 26 days. And so we, you know, I put a ton of time in, um, one of the things that's, I guess, I guess it's cool when you draw a tag uh, that has statewide, you know, the statewide units are open to you. You have to decide where you're going to hunt. So it seems like a stupid thing to say, but you can't hunt every unit in the whole state. And the the year that I drew my tag was the first year that S51 had a rifle tag available in it otherwise it was an archery only unit so it that that right there there was one draw tag that allowed me to be able to go search in that unit i think you know that me paying attention to that regulation and seeing that s51 was open nobody knew anything about the unit yet besides the guys that had bow hunted in there and you know that was they were keeping it pretty quiet because there were some really big rams in there and so I didn't really know anything about it until I, you know, drew the tag and then started kind of researching. And so I spent a lot of time down at the Division of Wildlife, uh, which now is renamed Colorado Parks and Wildlife, but uh, used to be the Division of Wildlife. So I spent lots of time down there going through the bow hunters reports and getting information on some of the drainages, you know, where sheep had been taken and making phone calls and then really kind of figured out that the best information that I could get would be to get myself down there and get acquainted with the unit. So that's what I did. Um, that unit is kind of a, it's got kind of an easier area to access on one side. And then it's got another two, two big mountains um, back to the east that are are super rugged very inaccessible um you know harder to find sheep on and that type of thing so anyway one afternoon in august my dad and i decided to go in in this real remote area we backpacked in there and um, happened to about midday found this this giant ram up on this bench um and he had actually some ewes that were kind of up above him um, and this was August, so they, I knew they weren't, you know, together, but found this ram and uh, climbed up about halfway up the mountain and about, oh, it's super steep. Took us about three hours just to get up halfway up there and uh, put the glass up and spotting scope and um, was like, as soon as I looked at the ram, I said, that's the ram that I want to take with this tag. And so it was kind of a love at, love at first sight kind of thing for me. <laughs> but uh, yeah. we we ended up, that was about two weeks before the season we found that ram. And so we went down there a couple more times and actually could not find the ram, but kept pounding around the area. Um, and then the season opened and couldn't find the ram at all. And 
went down multiple times and could not relocate the ram and was getting all frustrated and was about to jump over to another unit and start hunting that um, more in central Colorado over by Buena Vista and I decided you know decided I, I had to keep to my my goal and it was killing that ram that I'd seen scouting with my dad so we you know we just kept after it and went in there one afternoon in October and it was I think it was October 9th and just sat down and started glassing and knew we were in you know a good area to glass which is very key to you know being a successful sheep hunter get yourself where you can see good and where you can glass and it looks like good sheep country you know you don't want to go hiking through it all so we never did that but you know I learned a lot as a sheep hunter right then and um, anyway we did find that ram again just just like that within you know 10 minutes of sitting down found him one day in the afternoon and then went off on a you know a death run to get over there to where he was and a couple hours later we had him had him on the ground and um didn't really know how big it was in fact i had a friend of mine uh with me who's an outfitter in buena vista and he'd killed some decent sheep before some pretty big rams and uh you know we looked at my ram laying on the ground and i'm like do you think it's gonna make boone and crockett and he's like well if it doesn't it's gonna be awfully close you know, so, and then we had it scored, we threw a tape on it, and we're like, oh my gosh, you know, way bigger than, way bigger than what we thought, but just a horn configuration is, I would call, you know, very, I would say, almost Alberta looking ram, um, he's right at 40 inches on both horns, um, 15 and 2 eighths on the bases, 15 and 2 eighths on the first quarter, 14 and a half on the second quarter and then uh, 11 and a half on oh. the third quarter. So, oh my goodness, super heavy. Giant. And yeah, he looks kind of like he's got, you know, firestones on each side of his head. Um, but super big ram. And, you know, we'll always be very, very proud of that, that ram and how that hunt went. And I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better, a better experience, you know, to actually say you're going to kill that ram. And then, you know, two months later, it actually happens. I mean, that's one of the things that makes sheep hunting so awesome and so great and so revered by people is that, you know, sometimes things do come together for you. And, you know, a lot of work, a lot of hard hard preparation um, does cost a lot of money, you know, to go back and forth to scout and so on. But, uh, man, when you draw a sheep tag, make the most of it and... You know, have fun with it, enjoy it, don't, you know, and, and try to be patient. Um, you know, and like we said, maybe hire an outfitter if you feel like you can, you, you know, you can't do without one, then I would definitely recommend that. So that was a great experience for me and uh, we'll always remember it. So, yeah, that's awesome. I I want to see a picture of that you'll have to email that to me. Um, you bet. Sounds sound like an awesome adventure. And yeah. um, uh, now you've shot a doll. Have you gotten a doll and a stone, uh, Tim? I do. I actually have three dolls. Um, three three dolls and a stone. Okay, yep. Yep. I got so, my stone so, in uh, British Columbia, and 
I've actually got a doll from the Northwest Territories and then two dolls from the Yukon. And, awesome. Uh, and so you just need a desert for your Grand Slam. I do. I'm crossing my fingers for Arizona <laughs> and, you know, I'll be calling Jay when I get a when I get <laughs> get notification. So looking well, forward to putting in a lot of good a lot of time on a desert hunt and I yeah. will hunt, you know, I'll hunt all 30 days if that's what it takes. Yep, absolutely, and and I look forward to it as well. Uh, in closing here, I want to ask you um, some field judging tips and some common mistakes that you think people make when field judging. Uh, maybe just give me a little brief uh, rundown on both of those. Yeah, well, I, I've written a, an article on field judging bighorns for the Western Hunter magazine and uh jay had you know part to do with that as well and and uh, we put a bunch of pictures and stuff together so you know i think most people when they look at sheep um they are not familiar number one with the scoring the way you score sheep you know in the boone and crockett system um they're not aware of you know measurements of what a sheep looks like what what horn configuration they have so they're not really aware of you know, what's a medium-sized ram, what's a tight-curled ram versus a medium versus a really open-curled ram. Um, and this is one of the things that an outfitter can do for you. And, you know, if you're really interested in killing a big scoring ram, um, you know, you need to know how they're scored. Um, I think another thing that happens on sheep hunts a lot is people will find a lone ram or as I've experienced, we had a, a, we thought a very big full curl ram um, that was live, hanging out with a half curl ram. And I, I think what happens a lot is that people will take an, a lone ram or a ram that's not with many other rams and they'll try to judge it based on what they're looking, what they think they're looking at. Um, in reality, when a ram is not with other rams, he's very hard to judge um, because you have nothing to compare him to for body size, for head size, you know, and base size on horns. Um, I think back to my son's hunt two years ago, and, um, you know, we had, gosh, a group of 13, 14 rams all together, and we had time to look at all of them, and there was a really neat-looking old ram that had a, a full curl, but he had, obviously, compared to all the other rams, very small bases. Um he was a great ram to take for somebody, but we started looking around and, and found a ram that had, you know, in my opinion, probably two inches plus bigger bases um, than the, you know, the old uh, thin horn ram, I mean, the old thin based ram. So we ended up taking that, you know, a different ram and just because I, you could kind of, you could just tell looking and comparing them to other sheep. Um, I think, the biggest thing for Colorado bighorns and probably in other states too uh, is you, you kind of need to know a track record of the sheep the unit that you're hunting. What's been killed there? And, you know, if you're all the rams that have been killed in the last 10 years have small bases, are you pretty sure you're going to kill a ram with big bases? I'm going to say probably not. Um, it could happen, but sheep have a very... Uh, the genetics run very true in sheep and 
you will see sheep herds, you know, that have, uh, you will see very few like really giant rams come out of a unit that have never really produced big rams before. Um, it happens once in a great while, but I would say it's a it's an exception rather than a rule, you know, to see that happen. So, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely think one of the biggest things you could do is get the data, like you said, from the years past. And you know what we do in Arizona is I try and go back as far as I can in that unit and look at the base size and look at the horn uh, horn lengths. Now, so I take an average of if I can get you know 15 different animals or 20 different animals that have been killed in that specific unit, I add them all up and get an average. And then I never like to go above that average unless it's abnormally big, and then and then I will go above it. But if you can be conservative with your measurements and never go above the average, if you're looking at what you think is the one of the biggest rams in the unit. Um, and you use those average measurements and, and get all the measurements. And, and, you know, I keep, you know, a lot of the stuff on my phone with me um, and know the historical averages. Uh, usually you'll come a lot closer in your estimation mm-hmm. uh, just by knowing those, uh, you know, knowing that there's never been a 16-inch base ram out of this unit or uh, knowing that, you know, horns have never been over 38 in this unit. I mean, those are all very important things and you have to compare apples to apples and I'm sure some of your units in Colorado are known for big bases and I'm so sure some of them are known for smaller bases and right. you have to know what your you know our 22 desert rams are known for you know and 24 are known for big you know 16 and a half even up to 17 inch bases where you get western Arizona de- desert sheep over in the 44s uh, you know, or the Kofas and, you know, it's rare to get, uh, Rams over 15. So, right. um, you know, you have to know what you, what your unit is producing. Um, as far as field judging tips, um, I heard you mention tight curl and open curled Rams. Uh, I like big open curled Rams myself. I think, I think people have to really watch those, uh, full curl Rams, even if it's not real tight. Sometimes those you know, full coral rams, they've, they'll have good length, but a lot of times they're so tight, um, you know, they might not be as, as long as a big open curled ram. What do you think? Right. No, and I've I've seen that and, and you know, watched rams and we've killed rams that, um, you know, like I said, we thought this ram was a, that was hanging with this half curl ram was, he was, we thought he was probably way over 180. We thought he was mid 180s and, uh, he had that same kind of look that my ram had. We didn't think he was as long. Um, you know, ended up taking it and went over to it and just was like, holy cow, this thing is, it's kind of a dwarf ram. A smaller body, um, smaller skull, you know, and ended up being kind of a dwarf. I mean, he actually still made right at 180. Um, so he's a phenomenal ram, but you know, tight curled about 36, I mean, he's medium curl, he's and about 36 inches long as a full curl ram. So, you know, I think um, some units, you know, that you look through the Colorado stats and you will see a large number of full curl rams killed, but I would bet on average they're about 34 inches to maybe 35 inches long. Um, even, you know, even some tighter 32, 33 inch rams, you know, that's super tight curl to be full curl. Um, 
but, but I'm with you. I, I prefer the big, you know, long, <coughs> deep dropping uh, horn configurations. Um, a friend of mine that I helped a couple years ago guided, um, he took a, a 41 inch ram and uh, was one of the was still one of the strangest bighorns I've ever seen. He's so he comes up his horns come up so high out of his head they go so far back and he drops super deep. Um, and he was 41, 42 on one side and like 40 and I don't know two or three eighths on the other side um, with huge bases scored 186 and change. So, you know, another huge ram, but definitely one of those real, uh, real shocking looking rams, you know, with the big, deep dropping horns. And uh, yeah. those are very rare. I mean, we don't have yeah. many of those in Colorado. That's not a typical Colorado bighorn at all. Um, I think from my perspective, um, sometimes the dropping horns can get guys, and, and I think a good rule of thumb, and you can weigh in on this, uh, when you're looking at a ram head on, and he, or even from the side, and he looks like he's got a lot of drop, one thing you have to make sure that, that you have to make sure that those horns are not coming flat out of, the, out of their head, not coming flat and back. They have to come up and out and back. Exactly. Because yep, I've, exactly. Seen, I've seen rams with big drop, tell, tell and then they're flat off their head, and you're losing like four inches right there. So you, not only do you want the drop, but you want it to go up and back and you know, have a big open you know, big drop is, is good. But uh, right. I've, seen, I've seen guys get burned on – great drop but it's flat off their head yep. um yeah exactly you, you know i think we could talk about all this until we're blue in the face um but it's been awesome talking to you today about uh sheep hunting and goat hunting in colorado and um uh i want to close here uh what hunts do you know that you have coming this fall um uh, you said your son's goat hunt. Is that is that the only hunt you have coming up? Well, I actually found out a couple of weeks ago that I drew a Colorado moose tag as well. So oh, wow. I'm going to be archery hunting uh, for a big bull. Um, very rare. That's probably the hardest tag. It is the hardest tag to draw in the state. So even though I'm not going sheep hunting I'm, I'm myself <laughs> or with an immediate family member, I'm, uh, I'm going to do a goat hunt and I've got that moose hunt and uh, do a great antelope hunt here in Colorado. And then uh, we'll have a really superb uh, a bighorn hunt in November. I've got a, a friend of mine, son drew um, the Forbes ranch, which is a once every six year tag and this actually may be one of the last public tags ever offered on the ranch and uh, it's down in that s51 country it's actually in unit 65 but uh just west of unit 51 so we're expecting to see some really big rams and that will be a a hunt that's in the rut and we, we may have some really bad weather and all that but i'm looking forward to checking that place out and uh, hopefully you know looking over a a large amount of ram rams and uh, we'll pick out a good one for this guy's son and uh, make some grace for him so that's awesome tim well i i want to tell the listeners out there uh for one if you guys ever draw a tag in colorado uh you need to give tim rushing a call um uh tim how can people contact you 
Um, probably via email. Um, my actual my email. Do you want me to go ahead and give yeah. that out? Okay. Yeah. Um, it's Bighorn one nine one at gmail dot com. And uh, oh, one nine one like yeah. the raffle one nine one exactly. Nice. <laughs> nice. You and the it. other thing I wanted to say was uh, I've heard about your work as a contractor and. Uh, if there's anybody listening out there in Colorado that needs contracting work done, Tim's reputation is is a great one, and um, he's a uh, honest guy and and does great work. And uh, yeah, I just appreciate having you on, uh, and uh, look forward to someday uh, you you uh, draw on a desert tag, and hopefully you can uh, hopefully this year your 25 year drought will come to an end, and you'll draw a desert tag. <laughs> I hope <laughs> but, uh, so. <laughs> I, I wish you guys well on the sheep or on the goat hunt and the moose hunt, and uh, uh, I'll chat at you later. And thanks for being on with us. You bet. Thanks, Jay. Good. All right. Good you take on. care. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Jay Scott Outdoors Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing Podcast, brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash Insider and join today.